Psalm 123. We may have mentioned this before when we started in uh, Psalm 120, but you'll you'll notice aside from um, aside from uh, 132 that these Psalms of Ascent are fairly brief. We come to a, a really brief one tonight. Um, we have four. Verses. I mean, we can we can read read the psalm in a very brief amount of time, but there is um, hopefully, as we'll see tonight, this is a rich uh, little psalm that has uh, a lot of help and really even some instruction for us here as we meditate on it. So, Psalm one twenty three, uh, starting in verse one, unto thee lift I up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look into the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden into the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that He have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorning of those that are at ease and with a contempt of the proud. So we have here again a, a, a pilgrim's uh, song. This would be a song that the saints would, uh, would sing, that the, the people of God would sing on their way up to Jerusalem. And this is, as we take these triads or groups of three, we said Psalm 120, 121, 122 all went together. And we kind of start over here with our second triad with Psalm 123 to where we find the, uh, the, the, the psalmist in what we would call a, a strange land uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a world where he's at a place. Here the, the, the circumstance is a world where his soul is exceedingly filled. That means it is just overflowing or filled to the brim. You think about, it's the same word used when you, um, in, in Exodus, whenever it talks about the people are so filled with the quail that it's coming out of their noses and, 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 and mouths and ears and all that. I mean, it's just overflowing, spewing out of. They're filled with, um, scorn. They're, they're filled with contempt. It's just people slandering them, people shaming, disrespecting. It's something that they are, but it's also something that they've received. And so we get um, really two sections, two divisions in this psalm. The first one is uh, a humble dependence on the Lord as the psalmist looks in the first couple of verses to God. And and then the, the second division is a humble prayer for mercy. Humble prayer for mercy. So we'll start in, in verse 1. A humble dependence on God. Verse 1, he says, Unto thee lift I up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. The first thing we see about the psalmist here is that his eyes are set heavenward. 
The, the language here really should remind us of Psalm 121 where he says, I will set my eyes upon the hill. Where does my help come from? I mean, this is setting your eyes somewhere really is metaphorical for where are you looking for help or where are you setting your trust? Where are your eyes set? It would be the same thing as asking the question, where is your heart set? Where are your hopes, your expectations set? And the psalmist here says that my eyes are set upon the one who dwells in the heavens. The one who dwells in the heavens. So really what he says is, my eyes are set. I have lifted up my eyes and I have set my eyes. I'm looking on, looking to the one who's, who dwells in the heaven or the, the almighty God who sovereignly rules. Okay, This is the the one who is... Dwelling in heaven is the one who dwells over me. He's the one who dwells over the earth, the world that I live in. He's the one who dwells over the circumstances that I find myself in. And so he's the, the almighty God who, who is sovereignly reigning. He's the one from Psalm 115.3 who is in the heavens who does whatsoever he pleases. You see, the, the, the psalmist has set his eyes heavenward on the God who does whatever he wills. Or he's the, the God from Daniel 4, verse uh, 35, the one who looks at the inhabitants of the earth as if they're nothing. He does whatever he wants to do among the inhabitants of heaven and earth. There's no one who can stay his hand or say to him, what are you doing? He's, he's sovereignly reigning. Or he's the, the God from Isaiah 45 as we think about this in a sovereignty, in a, in a, from a sovereignty standpoint. Isaiah 45, uh, verse 7, where he says, uh, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil, or really the word there should be calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. So the psalmist in Psalm 123 finds himself in a, in a circumstance where he is just oozing with shame, contempt, slander, and he says, I will lift my eyes heavenward. I will lift my eyes to the one who is sovereign, the one who is in control. We said this already, but not only is the Lord sovereignly reigning over heaven and earth, but God is also sovereignly reigning if we if we kind of zoom it in a little bit over our personal circumstances, every detail. It's not some sort of a generic reign in general. It's, it's in the specifics. God's in the details of these circumstances that we find ourselves in. Um, so we think about Ecclesiastes chapter 7. 
This has become a familiar verse for us over the last couple of years. At least we've gone here um, several times. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider. God also has set one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. So the Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, says, when, when the Lord prospers you, be joyful. Accept that blessing. It's come from His hand. It's appropriate. But in the day of calamity, also consider this. And now I'm just going to put my explanation on the verse. God is just as sovereign over your adversity as He is your joy so that you might remain dependent on Him. Or Lamentations chapter 3, another one of those passages that we've become familiar with as we think through these kinds of things. Lamentations chapter 3, God is sovereign over your circumstance. He has a sovereign purpose in your circumstance. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 37 through 41 Jeremiah asked, Who is he that saith, and it cometh to pass, when the Lord commandeth it not? Out of the mouth of the Most High proceed not evil and good, or calamity and good. Wherefore doth a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. Jeremiah says, who could do anything outside of the Lord's command? And and the answer is nobody. Here they are. They've been decimated as a nation. The Lord has brought judgment on them from the hands of the Chaldeans. Uh, In this particular circumstance, Jeremiah is acknowledging it is because of our sin that we are here. And perhaps the Lord has brought this calamity upon us, this uh, circumstance upon us for the purpose of verse 40 that we might search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. In other words, the calamity is difficult, but God's got a good purpose. It's hard, but God has a good purpose. Let's search our heart and our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let's lift our heart up with our hands unto God in the heavens. Now, again, the point here is that a humble dependence upon God, a humble dependence that lifts our eyes to the heavens in the middle of difficult circumstances is the kind of humble dependence that recognizes God is sovereign here. God has a purpose here. And I may not know exactly what that is in this moment, but I'm trusting that He has one and that He will reveal it if I seek it. So uh, uh, eyes that are set heavenward, eyes that are set upon the Lord. Secondly, what you have in Psalm 123 in this first section of humble dependence on God, not only are... The psalmist's eyes set heavenward. 
but he also has a, a heart of endurance. Look at, look at verse 2. Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God. How long? Until that He have mercy upon us. Our eyes wait. We're just like, he says, he's using this illustration of servants looking to their masters or um, maidens looking to their mistresses. Simply, it's just talking about whether you're a male or a female. The posture here is of, of a slave, a helpless slave who has no rights, who has no resources, who has nothing except the ability to look at their master and hope for mercy, compassion. Um, he says, this is where we are. I don't have the resources that I need right now. I don't have the abilities in and of myself to navigate this, but essentially what he says here is what I, what I do have and what I am praying for, what I've committed to, is to wait until you provide. It, it's endurance. We've talked about endurance before. Waiting on the Lord. We find that phrase in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, endurance is a fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's, a, it's a fruit that the Spirit um, cultivates, works in. It's, it's typically called patience. But it's the same same thing, patience or endurance. And brothers and sisters, as we as we walk through the Christian life, as we think about the Christian life as a pilgrimage, one thing that is a necessity is endurance. And I will say this also: one thing that the Lord produces in His children that often flies under the radar is endurance. Sometimes we wonder, how long is the Lord going to allow me to suffer? How long is the Lord going to allow this circumstance to remain unresolved? What in the world could God be doing? And the answer many times is, He's building endurance. He's teaching you to wait. Wouldn't it be a blessing to be like the psalmist and say, Lord, I'm going to wait until your mercy comes? That would be a blessing. But we have to learn that. that, that that's something that we uh, certainly do not come out of the womb uh, uh, naturally uh, knowing how to do or, or naturally wanting to do. We, we, uh, we like quick fixes. We, we like for the Lord to show up and, and part the Red Sea on day one. Um, not year 400 and something. Um, so endurance, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set my eyes on you. I'm going to wait uh, for your mercies. We'll talk a little bit in the second section about what that means. But in Hebrews chapter um, 10... Hebrews chapter 10, in 
in verse 35, the writer says, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience or endurance that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise for a little while. And he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back under perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now, in this particular passage, the endurance or the patience is a faith that endures. That is, I'm not going to draw back, particularly here, I'm not going to go back to Judaism. I'm not going to, I'm not going to forsake the living God and go to wells that can't hold water. And, and there are times where we think, well, the way Psalm 123 is set up and we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, that's not really a crisis of faith if we're not enduring the way that Psalm 123 is enduring. It's not like me throwing up my hands saying, I'm not following Jesus anymore, I'm going back to Judaism. And while it might not be specifically you apostatizing, it is just like us throwing up our hands and saying, I'm not looking to Jesus for my help anymore, I'm looking to the world, I'm looking to... Fill in the blank. The psalmist says, I'm going to wait, Lord, until you, until your mercy comes, until you show your mercy. Um, when we lack endurance, our problem is primarily a problem of unbelief. Okay. When we lack endurance, you say, well, you know, I just get, I get worn out. And we all do. I mean, we know what that's like. We get, we get worn out. We, we become exhausted. We want God to hurry up and do something. The pressures get heavy. The difficulties are hard to bear. But when we think about, at least from a Psalm 123, I mean, the, the characteristic can change. The attribute can change. But the question is, is God merciful and gracious toward His children? Can you expect God to be merciful and gracious toward His children? Now the word for mercy here is not hesed, it's not covenant love. The word for mercy here is, is the word that means compassion, kindness, and showing favor. Many times it's translated as gracious. So can you expect God to be gracious. Well, what happens when you get tired of waiting on God to be gracious? Right? We, we begin to look somewhere else. We begin to look for something else. And, and again, we'll get into some of the practical part in our second section here. But the, the prayer is, in Psalm 123, the prayer is a heart that says, Lord, I trust you. I trust your character. And I will wait on your mercy in this circumstance. And I will trust in your perfect timing. Man, what a challenge. What a challenge. There's a lot that goes into that little two-verse prayer, isn't there? Sometimes we can trust God's 
character in the sense of I do trust that God is is merciful, that He's kind, that He's compassionate, but but it's His timing that we get off on. (laughs) What is He waiting on? How long will I have to pray and look and wait? He says, Lord, I'm looking to You the same way a servant looks to his master. I'm waiting for Your grace, Your favor. So that's a humble dependence on God. A humble dependence on God. Now the second half, the last two verses, we see a humble prayer for mercy. Okay, a humble prayer for mercy. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorning of those that are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. Now, the descriptions here are um, kind of interesting as far as the, the words there that are used. He says we are, we're filled with the scorning, or that is the slander. That's in verse 4. Uh, verse 3 is kind of the general prayer. Verse 4 gives a little more details. We're, we're filled with the slander of the arrogant. It says those who are at ease. It's, they're at ease in the sense of we're going to get away with this. We're, we're confident that we can slander, that we can sin against these people and there will be zero consequences. Okay, so we're talking about arrogance. Filled with scorning and slander from the arrogant. And then we're filled with contempt. That is, we're filled with shame. Uh, uh, Ill treatment. Treatment that lacks respect. Uh, We're filled with contempt or shame uh, from the proud. Now the word proud there is talking about those who destroy or those who do violence. So we're, we're at their mercy. We're, it's almost, uh, it's almost like, Lord, I don't know that we can take anymore. We're, we are exceedingly filled. How much more of this can we take? How much more of this could we handle? How much more of this can we bear up under? The particular prayer here is a prayer that's, uh, in response to unfair treatment. And you don't have to, to think very hard to think about a world where those who are at ease in the sense of I will get away with this slander the innocent or those who are proud in the sense that they do violence and destroy um, cause shame on the innocent. You don't have to think very hard. You live in that world. We live in that world. Generally speaking, we're thinking about unfair treatment. And so there, there are times and there are circumstances where we endure unfair treatment from higher authorities. It's thought that Psalm 123 was written during the Babylonian exile. So Israel was in captivity, or maybe I should say Judah is in captivity here. They're under the, the, the reign and at the mercy of the Babylonians. There are times where we find ourselves in circumstances where we endure that kind of unfair treatment from higher authorities and entrusting ourselves to the Lord means that we must wait on Him. 
Now, I'll make a nuanced clarification here. When I say that, I'm not talking about, and I think you would know this, but just in case, I'm not talking about circumstances where you're enduring some sort of physical abuse from somebody. The Lord has clearly made provision in Romans 13 that the civil government would provide protection on things like that. But I am talking about circumstantial trials that you have absolutely no control over and that you providentially must endure. You know what Christ did as Second Peter when He entrusted Himself to the Lord? He quietly endured. Now, um, again, the, the, the circumstance here is, is one where we have no other avenue we, we've exhausted our resources. Second Peter chapter 2. Uh, verse 19. For this is a thank, this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief and suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when you are buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in His steps. Now, we could we could go up to... Um, uh, really to verse 11 and, and make our way down to verse 19 and see a, a string of general calls to um, doing well in order to honor the Lord, enduring unfair treatment. Um, when you get down to this portion of the chapter, he's saying you were called to this and Christ even gave us an example of this. And in verse uh, that we would follow in his steps. And in verse 22, he did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but he committed or entrusted himself to him that judges righteously. So what does this look like? Well, again, it, it it's entrusting yourself to the Lord when... Every effort that you've made, every legitimate effort that you've made, has not resolved the trial. You think about unresolved medical issues that years of effort have not resolved. What do you do? What's left? Well, we wait on the Lord, we trust in God's mercies doesn't mean that we sit at home and necessarily do nothing, but it does mean we trust in God's mercy more than we trust in the arm of man. We trust in God's providence more than we are ruled by our preference. Now that's an easy thing for me to say up here in the pulpit. Okay, that's a hard thing to do in real life. But we have all known of people who have been on an endless search for relief 
when relief was not to be found. And I'm not talking about searches that are within our abilities. I'm talking about undiagnosed things to where a person's life turns into a medical drama that can never be resolved. Or how about this? Unresolved family conflict where one side is willing to work for reconciliation and the other side is not. That's a reality in the world that we live in. At some point, we have to trust in God's mercies. When we've taken every step and every effort that we know to take. You know, I think if we broaden this out in a way that's really a little more in line with the with the actual context, not taking just the principle, but the actual context here. When you think about where we are as a nation right now, you know, the idea of Christian nationalism has become more and more popular, and that means different things depending on who says it, but whenever I say it, I'm talking about this idea that what we really need to do is to take this nation back and make it a Christian nation Okay, people who have that sort of mindset seem to have a fundamental misunderstanding of what's going on in Psalm 123. Lord, we're waiting on your mercies. You know what happens whenever Christians or anybody else for that matter takes back a nation and seeks to make it a Christian nation? You have things like the Crusades. Anybody signing up for that? Was God's work just flourishing during that time? No. No, and I don't say that to uh, try to slander or poke fun. I just say that because that's the reality. We're we're not trusting in self-effort. We're, we're trusting in God's mercies. We're waiting on God's mercies, and in in God's economy, as it relates to national. Um, Sins and national uh, abuse of power, like we see. There is a category in Scripture for deferred justice, which means God's justice is deferred. His timing is not where our timing is, right? We would love for the Lord to come down now and zap everybody who needs to be zapped. The only problem is we'd get zapped too. Right, <laughs> And so we wait. We wait for His mercy. And we wait for Him to act. And so Psalm 123, again, is a, is a psalm that shows us a humble dependence on the Lord and then a humble prayer for mercy. And the psalmist says, Lord, I will wait. I will wait until you act. You could chew on that and get a lot more specifics out of it, and I would encourage you to spend a little time in those four verses the rest of this week. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that You would bless our hearts uh, to align with the psalmist's heart here in Psalm 123. Lord, we want to set our eyes upon You. Uh, We want to endure, to be patient, to let patience have its perfect word, that we would wait for Your mercies. And Father, we want to entrust ourselves to You. 
in a way that would um, deter us from trying to take matters into our own hands, in a way that would move us away from trusting in um, the arm of the flesh, in a way that would keep us from uh, dishonoring Your name. Lord, You've given resources, You've given provisions that are legitimate, and we're not talking about that. We are talking about an idolatrous lust for comfort and ease that comes through the resolve of a circumstance. Lord, I pray that You would bless us with insight, and I pray, Lord, that You would bless us with a heart that would align with the psalmist's heart in this uh, passage. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.